Monday night on the fan pregame, Sportsnet 590, the fan up on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360 as well. Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar, and we have the most beautiful words in sports tonight. Game seven, baby. <laughs> this is like prime sports viewing time right now. You're getting World Series around the corner, NBA starting, NHL's kicking off. You've got college sports beginning as well. It is, uh, it's perfect timing, and nothing like a game seven in baseball. Nothing like a game seven, period. Uh, but yeah, especially in baseball. I don't know if we like, would you want to rank the sports in which it hosts a game seven? I, I there's don't, something about baseball that's different. There's something about baseball that's different, 100%. It is like the pausing. It is the production mm-hmm. value, I think. But it is all this individual stuff happening at once, right? And there could be a, there could be a goat, right, in, in terms of hockey or uh, basketball. There could be something that is the reason why a team lost. But it just feels like when you do all these individual events over and over and over again, the camera's going to find someone who has that like look on their face mm-hmm. like, oh, this is all on me. And I think that's the stakes of baseball and especially Game 7, whether it's the pitcher, whether it's you know a fielder that doesn't do their job, or on the opposite side, the euphoria of a guy owning the moment in a Game 7. There's just something about baseball, and we get that opportunity tonight. Astros-Rangers Game 7 tonight. Uh, that will be at 8 p.m. across Sportsnet. Uh, Sportsnet 590 fan and Sportsnet 1, of course. We have an interesting couple tidbits from this. Well, Max Scherzer, of course, is going to be pitching. Uh, he's got a little shot at redemption. Game 3 came in after being injured for about a month there, and he got shelled, right? So he's got an opportunity in Game 7 to pitch. Four years ago, he pitched a Game 7 in the same stadium against the Astros in the World Series and won. So I wonder if he's channeling some of that similar energy or not, or if he's feeling the effects of a couple days ago from a game three that he really didn't look like him himself. No, he hasn't. Of course, he's coming back from injury to end the season, and you wonder just if he's right, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, he was hammered in his last outing, five earned over four innings. Scherzer has not been called upon because they haven't really needed him, except from that, you know, in this series when he's had to pitch. Uh, but you just don't know if this is a 100% or a 90% or an 80% or even a 70% Max Scherzer because... Big spot to find out. There's just a lot of known, <laughs> unknowns with him. Uh, and he's going up against a guy in Christian Javier who's had two earned runs over 10 and two-thirds innings so far in these postseasons. So you'd think, okay, Houston's got the advantage despite it being Scherzer uh, in this head-to-head pitching matchup. But then you go to the venue and the road team's dominating... Uh, the a- no ALCS home team so far. has won in this series. So maybe those two things equal out, and it's just you know the best team. Whether there's a little advantage with the starting pitchers with Houston, even with it being Scherzer on the opposite side, but then the inevitability of the road team winning. So I don't know. There are a lot of variables. There are a lot of things going in this game seven. It should be awesome. So no home teams won yet this series. Another added factor when you're looking at these two teams going head to head. Dusty Baker has never won a Game 7, which is a crazy sentence because this guy is Hall of Fame. He's legendary. He's never won a Game 7. Mm-hmm. Bruce, Bruce Bochy has never lost a Game 7. I wonder if Bruce Bochy, even in those Game 7 victories, you said five of them, has he ever showed emotion? Every time I've seen Bruce Bochy <laughs> he's so far... pretty stoic. He's like, there's no... There is nothing on his face but just like, you know, general intent on the game or <laughs> attention, attentiveness for the game. Uh, and Bruce, or uh, Dusty Baker, rather, is not mm-hmm. exactly the most uh, outspoken or the most 
you know, visibly emotional guy, but Bruce Bochy, unbelievable. He's just like he's staring into oblivion. <laughs> it seems like every time uh, the Texas Rangers are in a good spot or a bad spot, but that's quite the stat as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bruce, uh, Dusty Baker rather didn't need game seven to win the World Series last year with the Houston Astros because they didn't have to go there, I, I suppose. But I wonder if there's anything with that steady hand of Bruce Bochy that can help the Texas Rangers tonight. Okay, so Phillies and Diamondbacks is on currently right now. Uh, we're going to hear from John Morosi at 730, who's going to join us from that game, uh, which will be fun because maybe we get some live play-by-play like we did with Mad Dog. It is 3-1 Diamondbacks at the end of the second, uh, back-to-back home runs early on in that game for Fam and Lourdes. And so uh, back-to-back right in the exact same spot. I'm pretty sure the same guy would have caught it. Uh, it was pretty stunning, and now they're up 3-1. Uh, so some time in that one, but we kind of thought Phillies were going to run this one, and Diamondbacks are not making it easy, and that's a that's a winner. To, uh, that's a, a, an opportunity for a Game 7 as well. Mm-hmm. So we could see a Game 7 tonight and maybe a Game 7 tomorrow night, uh, but we won't jinx it. We'll just let that one play out. Uh, one final note on um, tonight's matchup, Game 7 in the ALCS. Brian Abreu. So we saw the situation where... Somebody got hit by a pitch, whether it meant to be or not, right? Brian Abreu threw a pitch. Um, That's somebody being Adelise Garcia, who, who is front up, and center in this series. Yes, and ends up getting Grand Slam, but that's not part of this. Um, he gets a suspension, challenges a suspension, finds out about 10 to 20 minutes ago before we came on the air that the suspension will be upheld, but he doesn't have to serve it until the start of the 2024 season. So he gets the pitch in tonight's Game 7, pitch in possibly the World Series if they make it there in some of the biggest baseball games that they will play, of course, this season. And then in 2024, in the regular season, he can sit his two-game suspension. I don't understand it. I think it just gives the Astros even more juice. Look, the Astros are getting ahead, away with something. Isn't that fun? I mean, it's yeah, that's 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 a good point. I mean, we're going to have to ask John Morosi mm-hmm. about this for sure because it doesn't make any sense. That said... Do we know for sure that he was throwing at him? I don't know if He's we know that for sure. For it, though. But he did get suspended. It gets upheld. I understand all that. But I just want to see the best go at it. Like, it's 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 lame that you would have a two-game suspension now anyway. It's even more lame that it's going to carry over to next year. Mm-hmm. But I would just like to see these two, two teams tonight throw their best at each other. And I guess that will include Brian Abreu. Okay, so that's uh, later on tonight. We'll be teeing that up throughout the show. Uh, we will have... John Morosi join us live at 630. But we're going to bring in Jeff Merrick first up on our show this evening. Jeff, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. One of my favorite, just hearing the story about Abreu, one of my favorite suspension stories is still when Gil Stein, uh, in the brief time that he was commissioner of the NHL, um, the very brief time he was commissioner, had a, had a plan whereby, geez, I'm really dating myself here. I'm not sure if you guys remember this. Um, or even born then, for that matter. <laughs> um, where players would serve their suspensions on non-game days. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, well, I, that's the, convenient. I, the, the idea of being that you want to keep as many of the star players in the game as possible uh, and keep as many of the NHLers in, the, uh, in, in games as, uh, as, as possible. That didn't last very long. You can understand what he was going for, but I don't know how much of a punishment it is. Um, being suspended on instead of practicing, instead of getting up early to, to go practice. Anyway, just hearing that story about uh, not serving until next season is uh, brought back brought back lovely memories of Gil Stein, who tried to also navigate his way into the Hockey Hall of Fame by mandating that every commissioner in the NHL should automatically go in. Ah, the carefree, halcyon days. Of he had some creative Gil, thoughts. Gil Stein era. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that all benefited him somehow. There you go. I, I mean, if you get paid per game, 
I, I suppose, you know, or paid per day versus paid per game. I guess if you're paid per day, it would still hurt you. But yeah, that's the thing. Well, is, that, it, is it you're trying to punish Brian Brayu from a monetary standpoint and you get paid when next season rolls around? I'm not really sure, but uh, I, I think they should go. Was it the, the Stein you said it was? Uh, Stein, they they should go that route where it doesn't hurt the series because that is the most important thing uh, to us. Uh, let's go to Saturday in the Toronto Maple Leafs, a big come from behind victory. Sure. Over the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, Joseph Wool in net for the Maple Leafs when it mattered the most, uh, which was during that comeback. Uh, not to spark a goaltending contra- controversy, even though that is one of the hot topic things. But you see, yeah, <laughs> it is too late. You're right. It's it's 100% too late. So do you see Wall making inroads here towards that starter? Like, did, did Saturday matter when it comes to the Maple Leafs goaltending situation? I think it's sort of foreshadowing, isn't it? Like we kind of have, you know, felt this one coming for a while. And if it does work out to the Maple Leafs fruition, all of a sudden next year you have a starting netminder um, who's making under a million dollars, which makes you breathe a little bit easier. Um, I, I think, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, highly intelligent people that follow this game and, and follow the net mining situation closely that said, you know, it's only a matter of time. Uh, before this happens, it's, uh, that Joseph Wall has, you know, done his his service and his time in the American Hockey League, and it's time to graduate. And the one last hurdle for him is Ilya Samsonov. And you know, I, I thought it was just going to be mop up duty, you know, coming in. Okay, it's three to one. Samsonov surrenders three goals and four shots. Let's just mop this thing up. This is the Tampa Bay Lightning, after all, Justin and Nailish. Like, there's no way they're going to squander this lead at home, right? Hmm. Um, I, I, I think the only sort of remarkable thing to this one is that, you know, this, and I don't think this is, you know, permanent right now, but the first hint at the passing of a starting netminder torch happened this early in the season. It, it certainly feels that way anyhow. I'm definitely going to ask you about more goaltending controversy when we talk about tonight's Monday Night Hockey between Montreal and sure. Buffalo. We'll tease that for now. Uh, but I want to sure. ask you about Max Domi's thoughts on Joseph Wall and how he kind of said that he was seeing Carey Price comparisons. I mean, that's a, that's a very, very favorable thing to hear about a young player, the way he carries himself, his demeanor, his preparation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like if you're hearing that, we might be seeing something special with this young player. You know who would hate to hear that? Joseph Wall. Like, thanks for raising talking. me as a future Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, he's been in the NHL for a cozy five minutes. You know, you remind me of a young Martin Brodeur. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> it's, let's not raise the expectations here. We, we do play in Toronto, after all. Like, look, I, I think he's an impressive player. I, I think that um, I think that he's gone about, you know, I mean, he's he's played his career a way that is respected by his peers. Like, you know, well, I know we're going to get to Buffalo here in a couple of seconds, but I don't know how well it's sitting in that Buffalo Sabres room, seeing the Buffalo Sabres organization essentially hand something to Devin Levi. Um, You know, there used to be that sign in the Oilers dressing room, earned, not given, um, which was kind of humorous considering all the contracts they gave to young players (laughs) right out of their injury levels. But nonetheless, um, he's earned it. You know, he's Joe, Joe Wall has earned all of this. I was at the Marlies game yesterday, the, the Marlies against the Charlotte Checkers, and talking to people there about, you know, who's, you know, who are the next guys to, to, to graduate and who belongs and who's done it which way. And, you know, uh, you know Pontus Holmberg is an NHLer, but we'll take him uh, when the Maple Leafs can't use him. Thank you very much. And, you know, we've had conversations before, me and various people there, about Joseph Wall and how, you know, how ready he's been. Uh, to be a consistent player in the NHL for quite some time now. And players respect that. Like, 
I've learned, okay, so I started in this industry in 1994. And I've, since then, I've learned one thing um, about hockey. And one thing, only. there's only one thing I can honestly tell you guys that I know about hockey for sure. And that is this. You can't lie to players. Players know who belongs and who doesn't belong. And they respect players that, you know, uh, went about it the right way and weren't handed anything and battled and jumped over hurdles, etc. And that's Joe Wall. Like, he's done it that way. And you're, you're seeing the, the fruits of all that labor, too. And as I mentioned earlier, if he can, if he can grab this number one starter spot, as many of us suspect that he can... This is a this is a total bonanza for the Toronto Maple Leafs because they'll have a starting netminder making under a million dollars. It might help William Nylander out just a little bit too. Oh, we're only paying our goaltender seven hundred thousand. That's uh, that opens up the money just a little bit. Uh, hyperbole, Jeff, to suggest that yeah. Max Domi saved his season Saturday night. A little bit early, but I know what you're saying. Uh, I get it. I mean, he really sort of looked out of sorts. Um, it's interesting too because there is a belief, like Elliot's on this page. There is a belief that um, that Matthew Nyes, you know, probably belongs playing with Matthews and Marner. But given what he's been able to do with Max Domi, how do you move him now? How do you touch anything right now? Like th- this kid's good. This kid's this kid's real special. And we can all remember the draft second round. Um, if he didn't have that, you know, there was you know uh, various circumstances around it. But if he didn't have the season that he did in his draft year, he's a first rounder all day long. The Maple Leafs got a first-round value in the second round, and, and it's, it's already paying dividends. And I don't know if save the season is hyperbole. It probably is. Uh, I don't have any doubt that Max Domi was going to you know, figure it out and, and turn things around. He's too good of a hockey player. Um, but that battery certainly looks impressive, right? And what, what do we live in right now? We live in an NHL era where it's not so much about lines, but it's about duos. And that one looks pretty special here to, to kick off the season. Yeah, when the boys at Leafs talk, though, are starting to talk about Nick Ritchie as it pertains to Max Domi, <laughs> uh, those two assists uh, can help out just a little bit. Uh, yeah, and I, I think this one's—I think this one's going to stay for for a while here. And I think everybody, you know, certainly in Bradford Living's office, uh, breathing a sigh of relief that uh, that this one looks to have to have turned itself around. Okay, I don't know if the Oilers are breathing a sigh of relief that no Connor relief. McDavid not is out no. only one to two weeks, but um, Woodcroft today saying that he's not ruling him out for the Heritage Classic, although that is right around the horizon. Uh, what's your pulse Sunday. on what's going on with Edmonton and Connor McDavid? Well, unless Connor McDavid is on his way to Lourdes to, bail, to bathe in holy water to <laughs> heal himself miraculously, I'm not so sure about Sunday. But then again, I'm not a doctor. I just mm. play one on radio, TV, and various podcasts. Um, we do know that he's a quick healer. Like, he's almost Swedish that way. Like, what, for whatever reason, no one heals as quick as Swedish hockey players. I don't know what it is. But you say four to six weeks to a Swedish hockey player, they're back in two. They just, for whatever reason, Swedish hockey players, like Wolverine, they just heal really fast. Uh, And last time I checked, he was Canadian and not Swedish. I mean, we all cross our fingers and hope that McDavid is good to go um, for Sunday. I think it's a long shot um, for, uh, for Rasmus Anderson. Um, to, to make it to uh, to make it to Sunday's Heritage Classic, but you know we'll see upon appeal. Um, this is gut check time already. I mean, this has not been this, uh, the start to the season that Edmonton Oilers and their fans were expecting. I think they're expecting something a lot closer to what we're seeing from the Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche or dare I say it, checks notes 
Patrice Bergeron mm-hmm. lists Boston Bruins, who are perfect so far. <laughs> Just what do you think you can count about? Um, who are perfect so far to kick off this campaign. I think that that's what they were, you know, looking at considering, you know, Elliot and I were there uh, a week or two before the season started. And, you know, the saying around Edmonton is cup or bust. And right now it ain't looking like cup. Uh, That's not the way they're playing. They have a hard time defending. Uh, The goaltenders are hard to hit. And that's a bad combination. And now they got to do this without Connor McDavid, the best player in the world. So this is gut check time for Leon Dreisaitl. This is gut check time for a clearly frustrated Evander Kane, who um, was pretty revealing in that interview in the second intermission with Scott Oak on Saturday. Um, you know, it, it's it's times like this where players like Matthias Ekholm uh, really matter. Leon Dreisaitl uh, really matter. Zach Hyman really matter. These types of players. They got a game tomorrow against Minnesota, Thursday against the Rangers, and then, as you mentioned, Sunday against the Calgary Flames in the Heritage Classic. And this has not been a great start. Like, this is, like, is it safe to say that this is Jay Woodcroft's first real big test, like really big test, as head coach of the Edmonton Oilers? Because it certainly feels that way to me. Does it feel like that to you guys? Yeah, I mean, there was a lull there. Uh, I don't know if it was last season or a couple seasons. I guess it was last season with Jake Rudkoff where they were not playing well at all and they kind of turned things around. So, yeah, I mean, this is... Listen, you go back to a McDavid absence is massive. And last time, a McDavid absence really loomed large. Leon Dreisaitl went out there and won himself a Hart Trophy with an unbelievable run uh, when McDavid wasn't an option for the Oilers. So it is time to look within. That includes Jay Woodcroft, uh, but also the names you mentioned with Leon Dreisaitl. If he can just be the best player in the world for two weeks, maybe it's not much of an issue. Okay, let's get to Monday Night Hockey tonight. Uh, Montreal is in Buffalo. Uh, You look at Buffalo, and you can include Detroit and Ottawa, but you can really, you see hope for those teams, right? You see what they're building. Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit, we're seeing it right now play out on the ice. I'm not sure I feel the same about what Montreal is doing. They're building as well. They're behind those three teams. And, and maybe it's it's just that they don't have that slam dunk guy to build around, or at least that's how it feels, because when they got the first overall pick, maybe it wasn't the guy who's going to change the fortunes of a franchise. So where are you at with Montreal's rebuild? Um, I agree. They're a step behind Detroit and Buffalo and Ottawa, but I, I, I don't think that they're in any hurry. Like, I, I don't think that they're in any rush here. Like, for, for a couple of years there, you know, as much as, well, even last season, I mean, there were the, the screams and howls that, you know, Buffalo, who were at various points um, talking to Arizona about Jacob Chikrin, needed to pull the trigger on, on a big deal um, to bring in some, some veteran help for, uh, for an overworked back end. And Kevin Adams, Sabres general manager, maintained, we're not going to rush this thing. We've seen too many times. We've seen too many times teams rush things, and then it all falls apart because you know you got close to the playoffs, and you know you blew out some of your futures to try to chase a, a playoff dream. And I think Montreal is doing it the same way now. The Kirby Doc injury really, really stings. Like that's a tough one. That is a real tough one for the for the Montreal Canadiens. But it opens the door here now. Right. All of a sudden, uh, uh, you, you see Alex Newhook in that second line center spot. Now it's his job to shepherd in Yuri Slavkovsky um, in, in another season of, of playing in the NHL. And he has an opportunity, the likes of which he never had in Colorado. So it's a chance to see what's under the hood there for Newhook in, in, the, in the middle spot. But I, I, I'm with you. Um, I still think that they have they have a pretty big goaltending issue. Um, that, you know, when this team actualizes as a legitimate, consistent playoff threat, I'm not sure that any one of these three goalies are going to be the goaltender 
for the Montreal Canadiens, whether it's Jake Allen, Samuel Montembeau, or, or Caden Primo. Um, I know they have a lot of really good prospects on the back end, and you know the the, the main one, Lane Hudson, still still on the horizon for them. Um, this is a this is a really promising young team. Um, I think they're going to use their American Hockey League team in Laval as much as possible. Um, I, I think that maybe in retrospect, it might not have been the best thing for Yuri Slavkovsky to play as long as he did in the NHL. As, as someone from another team told me about Slavkovsky, the thing you need to remember is the NHL is not a developmental league. Like This is where actualized hockey players here play. This isn't a, a place for you to learn the pro game. Uh, again, hindsight 2020, maybe they treat things a little bit differently um, around the uh, the first overall pick. But I'm with you. They, they are a step behind, but it seems as if they are being deliberately, I don't want to say slow, but they're taking their time. They don't want to rush into anything other than just building up the future of this organization. And I think it helps you have a fan base that's still behind you when you do it. I mean, I think when, whenever you hear fans say, we want to rebuild, we want to rebuild, your follow-up question should be, okay, but if we do that, will you still be here? Will you still buy tickets? Because we've seen what's happened in various markets, the most obvious right now being Winnipeg, and this is what terrifies teams about rebuilds. If we're not good, what happens to our to our, our subscriber base? You know, look, Washington just had their sellout streak end. It was a 588 games. That's over. And that's because this isn't, you know, a consistently winning team. They're not in the playoffs last season. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, ticket sales soften. So even if they wanted to, and they're not going to until the, until the Gretzky record is broken by Ovechkin, even if you're thinking about rebuild, you know, missing the playoffs once and having a sellout streak end, that sends shivers up and down the spines of everybody in Washington, and I think everyone across the NHL. But to Montreal's point, at least they have a fan base right now that during this very difficult, at times painful and awkward rebuild, they have fans that are sticking with them. A yes or no answer, Jeff. If Eric yeah, okay. Comrie plays well tonight for the Buffalo Sabres, is he the netminder moving forward? Well, I think Lucan is going to play Tuesday against Ottawa. So I, I think that it, it's a, you know what, Alish, this is a great question because, you know, there was, you know, there was some speculation that they might have been trying to move him in the off season, and they've been scared to put him on waivers because there's that team that was most recently a Stanley <laughs> Cup champion uh, that is looking they were gonna for pounce. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, ready, ready to pounce and everyone's sort of terrified about goalie waivers. Right now, even the Kings with Dave Riddick, they ended up sneaking him down. It's this, this game of goalie waiver chicken that everyone is playing <laughs> right now. Listen, he played great against the Islanders mm-hmm. and, and, good, and good on him. And, you know, Devin Levi has been the, the, the goaltender that Buffalo has given every chance to. Uh, they've opened a lot of doors for him and rolled out the red carpet. And I know how that makes certain mm-hmm. players feel. Um, but that's you know, a, a conversation for another day. Um, is he going to be the guy? We don't see goalies go from college to the starting position in the NHL often, if ever. And I'm not so sure that Devin Levi is going to be one of the first here. Uh, but it seems that Buffalo is still committed to, to giving it a shot. Um, but if Comrie has a good outing tonight against the Montreal Canadiens, uh, then I think we really start talking 
about a controversy here because Devin Levi has kind of been the gold, the golden child in nets for a little while here with the Buffalo Sabres. We'll, we'll see what happens. And I wonder about Uka Pekka Lukan in here. If you're Lukan, you're like, hold on a second here. <laughs> what about me? I was supposed to be the guy. This is why three goalie situations don't work. Well, it looks like they might have it figured out with two maybe moving forward. Uh, Jeff, we appreciate yeah. your time tonight. Enjoy watching the sports tonight. Montreal and Buffalo, uh, 7 p.m. Monday night hockey. Appreciate it, Jeff. I get to bed, get to go to bed at a decent hour tonight. This is going to be remarkable. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, you too. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. That's Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show, of course, and 32 Thoughts Podcast. Okay, we got to make this Bet River segment real quick here. Uh, time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. I'm going with tonight's Game 7. Rangers, Astros, over nine runs. That's plus 100. Uh, they've scored an average of around 10 to 13 in the last couple games. So they're going to continue that tonight. Uh, I'm going with tonight's hockey game, uh, Monday night hockey. I, I'm getting a little bit more aggressive. I'm going Tage Thompson <laughs> and Cole Caulfield parlayed anytime goals. 11 inches in height separates these two. It doesn't matter. They're still two of the best <laughs> goal scorers in the game. They both get it done tonight. Plus 350 for Tage and Cole anytime goals. Okay, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. We're going to go to a quick break. We'll be back on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan with John Morosi. All right, a Game 7 looming about an hour and a half away. Texas and Houston, 8 p.m. ALCS. That's on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590, the fan. And although it is a very special day in the baseball world, nothing tops what happened 30 years ago. What happened 30 years ago? You don't remember? Uh, vaguely? Faintly? Joe I Carter's was barely conscious, but I was conscious. walk-off World Series mm. winner. A special day in Blue Jays history. Uh, maybe one of the most special days in Toronto sports history, I think is a great question to ask our listeners. Tweet us or text us at 595.90. What is your favorite Toronto sports moment? Is it the walk-off home run? Is it the bat flip? Is it the Kawhi shot? Like, Is there something you remember either watching or experiencing or you look back on 30 years later like this and say, can't really beat that Joe Carter's moment? Yeah, I mean, if that's the type of thing. It's like, yeah, okay. I mean, we've had some moments. We've had some most moments recently. We're starting to get more and more, mm-hmm. uh, but it still feels like, wow, the Houston Astros have been seven straight ALCSs. <laughs> like, how many moments can they, they choose from over the winning. last seven years? <laughs> uh, you know, I wish I, I remember that moment. I wish it was more of a conscious thought, but I fear... I fear that I'm going to take or I'm going to hold on to Jose Bautista's bad flip for, for like, the long. rest of my life, or it'll be number one. Like, I don't know... I don't know if we're guaranteed to get something that's going to be as important as that moment seemed it was. And that wasn't even like in a championship series, let's be mm-hmm. honest. But for me, I don't think anything could beat the bat flip. Okay, well, the bat flip will live in infamy forever. Was that your number one? No, for me, it was quite a shock because I was there and I remembered it. Oh, I didn't know you were there. Yeah, well, I just had okay. a good view of it, so. I wasn't. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's a good thing. We have we have quite a few. And maybe more will be made tonight. Uh, John Morosi joining us from the game. I believe it's 3-1 for the Diamondbacks still. John, can you hear me? Did you find a quiet space somewhere in the stadium? 
Hey, listen, Justin, how are you? Oh, uh, yes, I have found the quietest place that I can find uh, here amid uh, 50,000 people or so uh, screaming. And, yes, you're right. Uh, the Diamondbacks have a 3-1 lead. We've got Game 7 later on tonight, Rangers mm. and Astros. So, so much great <laughs> baseball happening right now. Okay, before we tee up Game 7, because those are some of the best words in sports, uh, what's the vibe like? I mean, Phillies have had that upper edge a little bit. Um, with the home crowd, but I, I, you know, it sounds quiet right now. They are losing, but can they wield themselves back into this one? Well, Elish, it's a great question. And to your point, they have been unbeatable so far this mm-hmm. postseason at home. Uh, and really, it's interesting to experience this crowd today because in the first two games of the series, the Phillies homered in the first inning and the, the Phillies never trailed. They were never really in jeopardy, it felt. And so there was this party-like atmosphere. And now all of a sudden, the Diamondbacks have a 3 nothing lead and then the Phillies get it run back. But there's a little nervousness that the crowd is still really engaged. They're, they're still trying to urge their team back into it. But it's a very different feeling than what we had uh, the first two games that I saw in this series. And the Phillies have not even lost a game at home in these playoffs. So it's been dominance for them. It's a very different feeling. I think there was just one inning with, with Aaron Nola where he lost the strike zone a little bit. His command wasn't quite what it typically has been. And, and that was enough for the Diamondbacks to take a, a three, nothing lead. And, and they're still ahead by two right now. So it's uh, it looks like it has one of the makings of those nights that it's either going to bring about a game seven or the Phillies have a comeback for the ages that gives them the pennant here in the sixth game. So what do you see as most responsible for Arizona hanging tough in this series, going as far as they have in these playoffs? It feels like a team, at least go, like looking at them game to game and looking at them from inning to inning, they seem a little bit overmatched, but they find ways to hang around. And now in their posi- they're in a position, uh, if they can get through the next six or so innings, uh, to force a Game 7 with Philly and really make things maybe different in, in terms of the vibe at Citizens Bank Park. What's what's driving the success here that many feel is unexpected for the Arizona Diamondbacks? Well, I think it's been the Diamondbacks taking advantage of the, of the Phillies' bullpen a bit in Game 3. Uh, that was a, a true... Uh, that was a game where I think just the, the bullpen, whether it was Craig Kimbrell or others just could not quite have the consistency. And, and they basically kind of gave that game away a little bit. The Phillies did. And the, the D-backs were there to earn it and, and take it. And then I think game four was a true bullpen game, which was anybody's game, and the D-backs won it. Uh, I think that you've got to credit Alec Thomas, the game-tying home run. What a dramatic moment that was for the Diamondbacks. And I think some, some very clutch moments late. They have not been able to, the Diamondbacks, string together a lot of hits in terms of building rallies successively. Uh, they've not even really been able to run the bases all that well, but they just took advantage of a little bit of a wobble from the Phillies bullpen enough to, to win games three and four. And, and game four is one of those, one of those situations where it was a, I think it was an anybody's game toss up because it was a bullpen game on both sides. And I think you also have to credit game three, Brandon fought a very young right-handed starter, someone who we probably haven't talked about enough in baseball this year as being one of the more impressive young arms in the game, was able to come back and, and, and put together a great start after in the first two games, the Phillies just took advantage of the D-backs pitching uh, on the road here in Philadelphia. So it, there's no question that, that the D-backs have had to manage and play this series as you play or manage a series when you are the counter puncher that they don't, they do not have the best lineup. They do not have the best pitching staff really, but they've been able to, to stay close enough and counter punch enough that they've been able to, to get this far. And this is actually the first game of the entire series in which they've scored first. 
was was today. So that they've they've done a really good job, I think, of hanging in there and finding ways to win, even though they've been outmanned. And the playoffs are a case of defense, base running, and, and bullpen. And and the D backs have been just good enough, especially in the in the battle of the bullpens. Uh, they've got a very good closer in this series, and Paul Seawall, the the setup guys, Ginkle and Thompson have been very good. So I think now, as as the game get, moves into the fifth, it's a matter of can Merrill Kelly get them through six. And if he can, and then get the, get the game to Ryan Thompson and Kevin Ginkle, they've got a chance to force a seventh game when, of course, we, we always know anything is possible. Uh, you're not one to troll us, John, but if you wanted to, you could have just responded with two words, Gabby Moreno. Not that he's been the guy <laughs> yeah. who's been driving all the success, uh, but this is kind of a nightmare that won't end if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fans no, watching games it, deep into October. You're right, and Lord is Gurriel Homer tonight. Yep. And, the, and the thing, too, I, I'll say this, and, and I, I want to be truthful here. At the time uh, when the deal happened, I, I looked at it and said, the Jays are, are, are basically taking their depth and turning it into more left-handed hitting, which is what they feel like they have to do. And I understood the rationale for that. There was a very, it, was, it was a justifiable trade. But I'll say this. I did. I did not know Moreno was this good, mm. and and I did not know that he was this good defensively. I did not know that he was this good offensively, and and I think that his ability to handle the staff, call a game, throw, contributing power in big ways, it has certainly exceeded my expectations. Now, a Blue Jay fan might say, well, that that you would like you would like your your baseball insider and Morosi to know those things, but you would really like for your front office to know those things. And it's sort of it's it is sort of both of our jobs to know those things. It's really the job of the front office to know those things. And uh, I I just do think that collectively in the industry that people did not properly evaluate how good Moreno is going to be, including including me. I'm including myself in that conversation. But they they. I think that Moreno has just really transcended the expectations. He like to hear the D-backs talk about him. He is a cornerstone piece for them. Smart, tough. You saw him take a hit on from Bryce Harper, who is still built like a football player uh, at home plate and did not and did not leave the game. Stayed in there. Like he is a tough, tough guy who can hit and throw and call a game. And Lourdes homered in a huge spot for the D-backs. So obviously, the, Mike Hazen. The D-backs GM was very gracious before the series, saying, hey, it, it, that deal is still a win for both sides. Dalton Varshaw is a great player, and, and I'm a big fan of Dalton, but clearly the D-backs are right now where they are because of that trade. All right, so we're about an hour and 20 minutes away from Game 7 tonight, uh, which I don't believe you'll be able to get to quick enough um, because that's... Probably quite- Rosie not. might have a copter. You might have a helicopter, John. Do you have one? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would really have to up my travel game. Okay. The number of times, the, the, the number of times that I have, I'll say this: the number of times that I have flown on a private jet would also be the same number of times I've hit a home run in the major leagues. Ooh, okay. And I think we all know what we all know what that total is. Okay, so you'll be watching it with us. Um, a lot of storylines going into it. Of course, uh, no team is uh, no home team has won yet this series. Dusty Baker's never won a game seven. Bruce Bochy has never lost a game seven. You have Max Scherzer's chance to kind of rewrite what was game. Game three storyline. Where do you begin with the most intriguing thing happening tonight, which is already a game seven, which is pretty exciting to begin with. Wow. Yeah. There are so many ways to go with this. Alish. I think that 
first and foremost, the fact that Brian Abreu is on the active roster. Uh, that was the big question. Would he be I able even, to pitch? didn't even get that uh, one in there. That's a crazy yeah, one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so his two-game suspension is upheld but will be served next year. A bit of a compromise, I suppose, although the Rangers probably don't feel that way. Um, it, it's interesting. That, that deal... Uh, the the agreement there could have been probably adjudicated in any number of ways. I mean, the important thing from the MLB statement at the outset when his suspension was announced was it was the opinion of the entire umpiring crew that that was a purpose pitch. That that was the that was the the determination of all the umpires. That's what the statement said. So it's quite a it's quite a statement either way. Uh, and obviously, Adolis Garcia was ejected from the game and that game ended with his spot on deck. And would that have been a different game had, had he been in there? So many different ways to look at it. I, I am very curious to see what Scherzer has tonight. Um, I, I just think based on his most recent outing, you're a little bit nervous if you're a Rangers fan, uh, but you look at the way that they've been able to get this far and, and their offensive output last night, the grand slam by Garcia. Uh, if you wanted to set the stage with so many different possibilities, of course, the first ever playoff series between these two in-state rivals, um, just a, a rich set of storylines. What, what, what Altuve has done obviously was huge. There's just so many different uh, angles on to go with this, but I think in general, this is all going to come down to does Scherzer have it? And do, is he able to hang around that? Of course he's played in the series before in which the road team won every game. And that was the 2019 world series. That was four years ago. And um, what Scherzer did four years ago, has some bearing in terms of his experience, but it is not as relevant to me as what he did earlier in the series when he just wasn't himself. So the leash has to be short because it's game seven. I'm just, I'm just not sure if Max has his best stuff based on what I saw earlier in the series. So I would say for that reason, advantage Astros. Uh, everyone has their own way that, that they choose to view the Houston Astros, right? I mean, there's obvious success, but there's the scandal and there's everything that goes with that. And I'm not really sure where you landed on that, John. Uh, but another run here, win or lose tonight, uh, it, it adds to their excellence. We were talking to Mad Dog uh, last week and like how many Hall of Famers on the roster? Well, actually not that many. It, it, and it, it would be less if you took into consideration uh, majorly, the, at least the, the cheating scandal and everything that went into that. But d- is it undeniable now that we have to respect the Astros given what they've done, given that they've been able to survive and still have success after all the scandal and all the negative attention that surrounded them just a couple of years ago. How do you choose to view the Astros? And and is this another layer of consideration that you have to take in this run here? Sure. They are, they are a dynasty in my estimation. It is one that has complexity and one that, that certainly if, if critics wish to say, well, 2017 happened and, and there was, there was blatant cheating going on at that time, which is accurate. But there have been a whole lot of October since then that that they have been on this stage. And again, win or lose today, I still feel the same way that they're that they're a dynasty. Are they flawed? Are they are they controversial? Yes, but they're still a dynasty. And and the point that I come back to is is this: there is there is no way to know exactly to what extent other teams. We're running afoul of the rules by a little bit or by a lot during that time. Were the Astros cheating? Yes. Were they the only team that was cheating? I would have a very difficult time believing that just based on human nature, that there was one team that was doing it to that extent and everybody else was completely innocent. Uh, That's, Hey, is that possible? Sure. But it's not really 
as I stand and look at it, all that likely. And so I, I tend to view things with a sliding scale. And, and, and here's the other point about it. Did they, did they cheat? Yes. But when you consider the amount to which Jose Altuve has dealt with booze, booze upon booze upon booze in every ballpark that he's ever gone into since 2020, the, the, the extent to which he has had to wear that relative to whatever misdeeds existed and relative to whatever anybody else on his own team or other teams was doing is, in my view, a, a gross exaggeration of what actually probably happened in terms of his, his overall percentage of blame, if you will, in, in the, the overall scheme of whatever was going on at the time. And, and I've got amazing respect for the guy. I do. Is he a perfect player? No. But I've got respect for the body of work and who he is, and more importantly, the character he has shown since then. I tend not to judge people based on their, their greatest mistakes. I tend to look at more how they respond to them. And uh, I've got a lot of grace for him, and I've got a lot of appreciation for him. So uh, I, I plan on voting him for the Hall of Fame. I think he belongs. Uh, I've already voted for Beltron, who, according to different reports, was one of the, the chief people involved in it. Uh, neither one of them was suspended by Major League Baseball. And I tend to look differently at people who were suspended by Major League Baseball for reasons that involve performance-enhancing drugs or domestic violence. Those two things I look at uh, and put in a separate category much more seriously than I do uh, for whatever transpired uh, six years ago. Well, uh, Jose Altuve can make things uh, a little bit tougher on voters uh, if ones do not want to put him in. He can add to his uh, his resume with an ALCS MVP if it goes the way of Houston tonight, given how he's played uh, so far in the series. Let's let you get back to the game. Uh, <laughs> John, it's 4-1 Diamondbacks now. Uh, go find your seat uh, and enjoy the rest of the game. Thanks for coming on with us. My pleasure. I'm, I'm just happy that I found the quietest spot in the entire it's, ballpark. It's that actually I amazing. And, and guess what? <laughs> I was still able to watch the game. There's a little monitor here. I'm looking at it. And by the way, we'll we'll get to this next time, but how about the wings, huh? How about that? Oh, my John. I'm I'm starting to believe, John. I was a skeptic, but I'm starting to believe. (laughs) You thought thought it was just homerism on my part. Little did you know. There's something there. I had a little (laughs) brinket on the power play. Look Mm -hmm. at those numbers. I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. He had a cat trick the other night. Ah, uh, we'll let you go there. on that well one. Done. We'll let you Very go on clever. that one. Thanks, John. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll chat uh, World Series time, all right? Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All the best. Thanks Thank so you. much. That's John Morosi of MLB Network and NHL Network. And Philly's slacking. I didn't hear, like, one clap, Was one he in the yell? bathroom? Like, it was I, quiet. How is that even possible? <laughs> that place is unhinged. He found some sort of underground bunker uh, to call us from. We appreciate that. Yes, the update was 4-1 uh, last time you checked. And that is at the top of the fifth. Uh, we're about an hour and 15 minutes away from ALCS Game 7. Texas and Houston, we teed it up. There are so many storylines going into that one, including Brian Abreu. Being able to pitch tonight will be a big one. Uh, and as John said, it's uh, it's an interesting thing that it is the way that the baseball, I guess, rules work, that you can just punt your suspension to next year. But nonetheless... Uh, we will see how that one goes tonight. Uh, we did have some breaking news while we were on the show and on the call with John Morosi. Giannis breaking his own contract extension. Following the likes of Austin Matthews? Maybe inspired by Austin Matthews. Uh, and now confirmed by multiple sources, Shams and Woj, um, agreed on a three-year, $186 million contract extension. So we knew he was eligible for one, or we thought maybe he would punt it to next year. But nonetheless, he's agreed to it. 
he signed it with a, a photo of himself in the trophy saying, Milwaukee, let's get it. <laughs> hashtag bucks and six, hashtag extended. And with that tweet were the confirmations that he has indeed extended and signed a contract uh, for the next three years with the Bucks, And I mean, we were already talking about the Bucks being maybe the class of the East, but now that he's locked in for another three years, it's scary season over here for the Raptors and co. Yeah, I mean, that's a good team. Uh, we definitely know that, and they proved themselves by getting Damian Lillard. Uh, I was about to criticize the contract just a little bit, like a very, very cursory mm-hmm. look at what it is. It's like, oh, only three years? This is maybe the opportunity to like earn forever, right? If you really, mm-hmm. really wanted to. And then our producer, Mike, puts in the chat, it's $62 million per season. That's a raise off his $45.6 million a salary uh, prior to this extension. $62 million per season for And that's Giannis the highest in the NBA now, um, as producer Mike has given us, just feeding us stats. As we said, mm-hmm. this just happened. So uh, producer Mike helping us out. We're going to get Michael Grange on as well, um, I believe, just after our break into the 7 o'clock hour, which will be on Sportsnet 590, the fans. So you have to tune in the radio to hear us. Highest in the NBA, uh, Jokic has a $55.2 million a year, Curry 53.8, and Embiid 53.3. So with Giannis coming in at 62, he's... Far and away, the most paid player in the NBA now. Yep, that's a new standard that everyone's going to be chasing and that everyone will eventually catch up with because it doesn't seem like uh, there's much of a... Uh, it doesn't seem like the bubble's going to burst, we'll say, in the NBA anytime soon. That's ridiculous money, and it's ridiculous opportunity here for the Milwaukee Bucks to win another NBA championship uh, with Damian Lillard and now Giannis locked in. Of course, Raptors fans will be mourning the potential loss of him because it's always been like, hey. Uh, that's the thing, right? It, it, there's, it really there's that felt connection like with Masai, it. connection with the city. It always felt like, hey, Loves this the was Greek the target. Community. The Greek community the always shows up. For, yeah, Dan, Has he gone Danforth's to the Danforth? always in the building when the Bucks are in town. Has he been there to see the de- delicious Danforth? Like, not quite, I don't know. Not quite powerful enough <sighs> in the draw, it seems. Or the big difference was Damian Lillard because he said, mm-hmm. hey, if you're not going to add to this team, I'm not necessarily going to stick around forever. A little forever. bit of pressure on Dame now. Yeah, but I mean, one move, and and, and I, I guess to Giannis's credit, he did exactly what he said he was going to mm-hmm. do. If you give me the chance, if you surround me with talent, I'm going to be loyal. And he's loyal with this deal, despite it being a ridiculous sum of money that few people in the world would be able to turn down. So the NBA season officially starts tomorrow, uh, but he's making headlines on the quiet day where nothing's really going on until tomorrow's tip-off. And then Wednesday, obviously, we got the Toronto Raptors starting their campaign. Uh, we'll have a lot to tee up on Wednesday as the T-Wolves are here against the Raptors at 7.30. Uh, tomorrow, we got a Leafs game, so we're kind of punting our big NBA discussion to Wednesday because it is the start of it here in Toronto. But I know it doesn't impact this season that now they have Giannis moving forward, but it kind of just puts the Bucks in this comfortable spot where they know that they can continue to build around Giannis. Maybe they go heavy at the trade deadline knowing that he's around for a couple more years, whereas before it was a question mark of, we got to prove ourselves to Giannis because he could do whatever he wants if he decides to not stay here after the season. If he wants to go play for the Raptors now, the Raptors narratives sadly dies out a little bit. And we have to just watch the Bucks probably try to put together another championship team as they really could. Because if you're a free agent, you know Giannis is going to be there for a couple more years. Why would the Bucks not be high on your list? Yeah, I mean, I'm reluctant to sort of wrap the Raptors into this discussion no, no, too no. much because it's so hopeful, right? Like I understand it we joke far-fetched. around about it. Yes. It was always far-fetched, but this is kind of the model for the Raptors in that, hey, we're going to try to strike mm. when we can. 
but other teams, teams that actually hold that player in the better position because they just have to make that move in order to appease them rather than, uh, you know, the Raptors coming in over the top, outbidding for whatever player might be available in that moment. And I guess that's the reason why you can quibble with the Raptors process right now because it does seem like they're trying to maintain competitiveness when they can make a big move. But as I mentioned, easier to make that move when you've got a guy like Giannis and you're already ready to compete for a championship. And I don't really know if Dame Lillard is going to transform them in a way where they are obvious front runners. Like they won't run into the same things that have uh, tripped them up in the past few postseasons. But I certainly think with this certainty with Giannis and the the acquisition of Lillard that you can feel comfortable doing oh, anything, yeah. that you can feel comfortable being as aggressive as possible because you don't have that thing that you can lose. You don't have Giannis, who you can lose because he's locked up now for another three seasons, the two-time MVP, a winner, uh, and an NBA championship back in the fold for three years. Uh, the Bucks are ready to go, and they're ready to compete as long as Giannis is going to be around. Okay, so after we take a break and head to Sportsnet 590, the fan, for the final half hour, we will have Michael Grange. He'll help us break it down. We will have Raptors narratives to go through as well with Grange uh, because, you know, everything always revolves around the Leafs and the Raptors. Ha, ha, ha. Toronto media. Uh, but we'll tee up one more time uh, this Game 7 because there's a lot going into tonight. Of course, it is winner moves to the World Series. Uh, looks like we might get another one in the MLB because top of the fifth, Diamondbacks are still up 4-1. Uh, wouldn't that be beautiful back-to-back Game 7s? Do you think that Scherzer and the moment is going to get to him or is he going to come out there absolutely dialed and have a performance? And and Morosi was given the Astros the edge there. I don't, I have no idea what to expect. I love that. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how you could. We've barely seen him pitch. He blew up his last time out. Mm -hmm. The Astros just beat him. Uh, And this series has really taken, unless you're just like, oh, road team always wins. It's really hard to predict what's going to happen. There have been some huge turns. There's huge names on each side. There's batting orders that I guess if you're in this city, you could only really dream of. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think it's expect the unexpected when looking at this game. I guess Christian Javier would be the one guy where, well, you kind of expect or you think you can expect what you're going to get from the Houston starter, uh, which means Texas is going to have to find a way to bridge that divide either get to Javier or Max Scherzer is going to have to be really good or at least better than he was last time out I think that's the key variable is if Max Scherzer's Max Scherzer mm-hmm. then the Texas Rangers have a good shot but uh, I don't know if you can expect that tonight well there's a couple things going against the Astros but they got Abreu but they also have Dusty Baker who's never won a game seven and then they have a home team that's never won yet this one at in this series so far so everything kind of cancels out Just let the best team win. How about that? Just enjoy game seven. All right. That's up at 8 p.m. on Sportsnet 590. The fan is Sportsnet 1. Winner heads to the World Series. We're going to take a break, and we're going to head to Sportsnet 590. The fan to chat with Michael Grange about breaking news on Giannis. And we're going to draft something special. Tomorrow, all all 32 NHL teams are in action. Who's the one you want to watch the most? That's next on Fan Pregame. The fan pregame back on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar, just coming off uh, the breaking news that Giannis has signed a three-year contract extension, breaking his own news, uh, which we love because take back that power, player. So he's got a hashtag extended. The news has been confirmed, and we got Michael Grange on the phone, probably off the dinner table. We appreciate you coming on, Grange. We won't keep you for too long, but uh, we love that you could come on and break it down with us. 
All good. All good. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. Uh, we never usually get breaking news in the morning, so this is a treat for us in our new time slot. Getting we real, get used to this? Now? Real things that happen while we're on the air, so uh, maybe it happens more and more, and we're ready to, to chat with you about it. So Giannis News, uh, breaking it himself, but the time just the day before the uh, NBA season tips off, uh, were you expecting any kind of conclusion with this narrative, or did you see it playing out for the rest of the season? Yeah, I thought he was, I mean, he'd been pretty clear. It wasn't, uh, didn't make sense for him to sign the extension now. I think uh, there was financial incentives for him to wait in terms of, uh, you know, being a 10-year player and all these kinds of things. And and uh, maybe just to sort of see how things were going to play out with Dame Lillard and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's $62 million a year guaranteed for the next three years. It's pretty good. And uh, he still has that player option. And I think when you look at him and Lillard, um, you know, I, th- I think I think it, it does look like a two-year window. I think I think that's sort of when you you sort of give Dame to be kind of at his peak. And so it creates a nice little bit of security for the franchise, it, uh, obviously for Giannis himself. And and um, you know, it still gives him a little wiggle room at the back end. He'll still only he'll still be a pretty young player and. Um, we get to revisit all this again then. Uh, I have not been tracking, admittedly, Milwaukee Bucks uh, preseason action. I don't know if this is a move <laughs> that's, you know, inspired by, hey, this is an immediate connection with Dame Lillard. It's probably more accurate, though, that, you know, uh, he wanted to make sure that there was an effort put toward building around him if he was going to commit these three years or the next part of his future. Is this classic case of, you know, athlete putting it out there, getting what he wanted and, and, and agreeing to uh, stick around because of that? Or do you think it's... <clears throat> Uh, just a little bit more than that, where the money was there, the guaranteed money was there, and maybe all along this is kind of what Giannis preferred? Yeah, I really wouldn't pretend to know. I mean, um, you know, we all saw how things played out. Giannis was very vocal in the summer about uh, suggesting that, that he could be parting ways with Milwaukee. He really wanted to make sure that they were committed to winning and all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, then they go out and do the Lillard deal kind of uh, under the – dark of night nobody really saw them coming and um but even then you know Giannis said all the right things he I think at one point he did say he would love to be or plans to be a, a you know in Milwaukee for his career but you know just the way some of those contract opportunities get laid out um there's better and worse times to sign extensions and um you know so he kind of was very pretty clear i thought that he was going to be pushing this out it wasn't it was more like his message was don't panic i'm you know don't read too much into this it's just a better business move for him to sign the extension a year from now or or, uh whatever it might be but um for whatever reason you know it was just deemed that this is a better time and i guess we'll we'll find out soon enough what what exactly his reasons are but i think if you're um anyone around that organization certainly the fan base it just gives a little bit more clarity as to how they can proceed because, um, you know, you know, you've got a couple more years at least with your franchise player. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's kind of the moves that Milwaukee's going to have to make. Obviously, they've made a huge one now, but there's still going to be decisions that need to be made. And, and you know, you want to be doing them with an idea that with some confidence that, you know, you're you're going to be – adding players and making other decisions around talent that you might add with each, you know, Milwaukee's going to be way over the cap and the penalties get more and more severe. Um, and I think 
you know, it's a solid for ownership because you're they're not going to be in a situation like maybe what Cleveland was a couple of years ago where LeBron just sort of had the hammer over them year after year and they would kind of, you know, uh, send all their assets out the door to make sure they were sort of keeping LeBron happy. He ends up leaving anyway and, you know, and they're, uh, they're kind of holding there with their, you know, empty-handed. So I think it, um, you know, these moments in a franchise – are very that it truly is a partnership between the ownership and and your star player because so much is invested and each of them have so much to gain or lose depending on what decisions get made and um you know i think the ultimate takeaway here is that this is Giannis trying to uh you know give a little stability to the organization allow them to plan accordingly but also preserving a little bit of um flexibility for him to sign one more deal before his this prime is over. Uh, chatting with Michael Grange on the fan pregame. Okay, so it's obviously a win for the Bucks. Uh, it's got to be a win for Giannis, given how much guaranteed money is attached to that deal. But is it a win for the NBA? I mean, on one hand, yeah, they got a, a small market having success and being able to, uh, you know, be a, be a market that they can really build up and, and rely on for, uh, you know, Christmas games and so on and so forth. But I guess the lure of Giannis playing in a bigger market would have been cool as well. So you think this is a win for the NBA? Uh, it's interesting. You know, like there's always that, that question, I think, you know, in terms of there's always that kind of quick fix or quick hit of having the superstars in the biggest market. And, you know, I heard Giannis maybe that it was Golden State was going to be his next destination had this game little thing not come through. And, um you know, yeah, I, I guess it'd be pretty exciting for the NBA to be able to put <laughs> Steph Curry and Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, you know, on Christmas Day, but uh, playing with each other. But I think that there's another side of it too, which is, um, you know, sure, there's always those, you know, the, those marquee moments and matchups, and that really drive a lot of attention and things like that. But I think also the league has shown that that when you are a giant star, it almost doesn't matter the market. And um, it also, I think for the day to day, week to week, year to year business of the league, having stability throughout your franchises, having, you know, some of your first smaller franchises able to be, um, to run a good business and have a chance to win and do all those kinds of things. I think, you know, there is a lot to be said for that too. I'm, I'm not sure which, if Adam Silver were kind of, um, you know, you gave him some truth serum, which he would ultimately prefer. But, you know, I think either way it falls, um, you know, there's a benefit. But but I hear what you're saying. Like, I mean, Giannis ends up with the next. Giannis ends up with Golden State, as I was saying, whatever it might be. All the off-season intrigue that those moves always seem to, to generate uh, seem to, you know, certainly ESPN seems to get excited by them. But um, but I, I think, I think you know, there's an argument to be made, too, about, about – you know, franchise stability and, um, you know, storybook stars staying in their markets and doing all those kinds of things, too. Are you surprised that Giannis wasn't interested in the Raptors after they went undefeated in the preseason and looked like the best <laughs> team coming into this uh, upcoming year? I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's another, <laughs> you know, just, uh, just kind of homebody. Doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't, he's got to look 
he's, he needs to look over the horizon more. I think he's uh, <laughs> he'll regret. He's going to regret it. Oh, that's but, funny. Uh, but how how should Raptors fans feel about this? I mean, he's staying here in the East, and it's it's not pleasurable for sometimes to, to go up against him. But there was always that dream that the Raptors would get Giannis and the Greek culture and the Dan, Dan Forth would lend. You know, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. No, I don't think it will happen. Although, you know, stay tuned, right? Like uh, this stuff will all get revisited just because the guy's under contract. We've seen it a hundred times. Um, it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. So, um, like I said, I think I think it offers a little stability with the Bucks, but uh, we could easily a year from now uh, be having different conversations depending on somebody getting hurt, somebody being unhappy, something happening. So. You know the the roller coaster the the you know the the roller coaster never really stops in that league. But um, you know, but I mean, from the Raptors' point of view, um, you know, I think that they're they have to be really happy. I mean, like nothing. The preseason is a preseason, and you know you can poo poo it all you want, but um, you can also come out of a preseason and be in a panic. And if you're zero and four or one and three or whatever it might be, and Nothing seems to be taking shape based on what your coach has been selling in terms of a new vision. And guys are hurt, and guys are starting to, you know, show that they're unhappy or haven't bought in. You can have a lot of problems. A lot of problems can be caused by the preseason. But, um, you know, quite, I think the last month here with the Raptors has been entirely the opposite, I think. Um, in terms of a statistical profile, they're very much uh, have played in the preseason. Roughly according to the, I'd say very much according to the vision that Darko Ryakovich has laid out. I think, uh, you know, the whole Pascal Siakam storm definitely seems to have passed. He's played very, very well. Uh, Scotty Barnes, everyone wanted him to take a big leap. He's been unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it looks like there's a little bit more depth and things like that, um, you know, across the roster, which was, you know, another kind of thing project they wanted to get undertaken in the off season. So all that stuff, you know, you can only do what you can do and, and it's all seems to have come up quite positively. Um, that said, you know, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves are a lot better than any team they played. And, uh, you know, it's really only going to matter what they can do coming, going forward. Well, it looks like the vibes are high. Uh, great Halloween costumes from the Raptors uh, coming out on Pascal's Instagram. Do you think that they picked them? I was to think that they, you think that they actually sit down and ponder what they're going to wear to the Halloween party. You know, it's funny. I was thinking this too because those are not Halloween costumes you can buy at Spirit Halloween. Those are custom made. Half of the guys are like seven foot eight. You can't buy that anywhere, right? So I actually think that they put. I think there's a strategist. It. And I think, I think they, there's a strategist. There who, might like, be someone people. that helps, but says, "Here's a couple ideas. Like, what do you want? Like." Jack Sparrow, like Darko Ryakovich's costume was legit. Mm. I don't think he's at Spirit Halloween at King and Bathurst buying that. Yeah, but I think things. that like, someone that else is helping him. Yeah, I think I think that there's a I think there's a stylist. Yes, yeah. that's it. Well, what's your Halloween costume range? The, the club is offering. <laughs> listen, you know, come here's a number. Call this person. <laughs> they'll help you. There's no chance that they're just coming up with this stuff on their own. Do you someone brings tri- a, whole, a big chest. To the to Scotiabank Arena, and they just sift through it, and they find out exactly how it's going to work. I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, that's right around the corner of spooky season, but by Wednesday, uh, the Raptors will tip off, and we'll have lots of time to chat with you about that, but we really appreciate you jumping on, and uh, on such short notice, help us talk about the honest news. Michael, we appreciate it.
All good. Have a great night, guys. Thanks so much. That's Michael Grange of Sportsnet. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's right around the corner. I think we actually have a Leafs game on Halloween night. We do. I don't know if we're going to dress Which up. Which means it ain't happening. We'll have, I got news for we'll you, Bucko. It ain't happening. <laughs> we'll have to discuss if we're going to dress up on the show. I know how badly you want you want to celebrate Halloween. It'd be really but fun. I, just, I think on. our hands are tied. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, well, that's great. I appreciate Grange coming on. We have lots of time to tee up uh, Raptors on Wednesday before they start their campaign against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But the vibe, we'll leave it at this. The vibe seems really different this time around. A new coach, new energy. Grady Dick is like the funniest social media presence ever. Mm-hmm. He's bringing some little Gen Z energy into this Raptors team, and I'm liking it from afar. See how that works on the court, but all you can look at is their preseason record couldn't be beat. Best ever. Halloween vibes look good. <laughs> Halloween done right. And so that's two for two, baby. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens when, you know, Giannis and Dame <laughs> roll through town. I don't know when that is. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's good vibes. There should be good vibes. If you're going to start fresh, I mean, there better be good vibes before you even take the court. Wednesday, once. November 1st. That's pretty soon. And then November 15th. So <laughs> those, are, those are upcoming. You get Call to see that. them real quick. <laughs> Okay, well, that was a spontaneous Raptors Giannis discourse. Now, uh, what we had planned, which we can still fit in here, is a pretty fun things going on in the NHL tomorrow. Historic 16-game night. All 32 teams in action starting at staggered times. Now, so many people have been calling for this because you look at a schedule and it's like, okay, there's 15 games or no, never that many. There's 10 games and they're either at seven or 10. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to watch them all. So tomorrow the NHL is doing something very special where – Every game will start at a different time. All 32 teams in action. And your Maple Leafs are kicking it off at 6 o'clock. The only game that will have a 30-minute block with no overlap. So they kind of get the little sweet Uh spot. Everybody warms up, watches the Leafs and the Caps. And then boom, game, boom, game, boom, game. Big night for Sportsnet Plus viewers because you can just rip around and watch it all. Yeah. Um, But with all 32 teams in action, how are you going to divide your time? Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect, like, you do, you know, watchability or rankings, tiers of interest, whatever it may be. I mean, tomorrow night is the night to put it all in action because you have every team at your disposal and they are staggered beautifully. So you can always find a game, uh, at least at any time tomorrow night. It's a really, really cool thing. I'm glad the league's doing this. I think it probably should be more than a once a year thing. They should probably try to do this monthly at one Saturday night every month would be pretty, pretty awesome. Our poor Hockey Night Canada panel would be... there. It it would be like being at a tennis match. You'd need to put us on there too. There you go. There's your solution. There's your, there's your ask right there. <laughs> okay, so let's let's do that. Like if we're sitting down, okay. Sportsnet Plus tomorrow, we got every team. We could like, how are we going to try to divide our attention? How Ooh. are we going to rank the teams that we'll see tomorrow night? We've got about nine minutes to do this, so we're going to have to be pretty quick okay, with we can it. Be concise. But let's start with. We'll do draft format. It was so we'll your go back idea, so you can go first. But okay. like, let's clarify one thing. This is the team you want to watch, not the game, because sometimes the team you're playing is playing a bad team. We're not even. We're no, just, what this is team just the team. Do you want to watch tomorrow night? Yeah, the teams that are most interesting Boom. on October 24th, Go 2000. Ahead. I'll give you first over selection because I'm a nice. Taking the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh. They play in the highest scoring games, at least it seems. Shocker. They have. We're in the city. So, yeah. But also. What happens afterwards is always so important. Like the conversation around the Leafs is just as entertaining as the actual games. The Toronto Maple Leafs are still the most watchable team because they walk the walk. They talk the talk. Homer taking the Colorado Avalanche undefeated 
this season, McKinnon, McCarr. It's just it's not even a homer. Like how many how many minutes of Leafs and versus Abs have you watched this year? Obviously, I've watched more Leafs, and you took there them you first. So my next pick is Colorado Avalanche, okay. undefeated team. There's only three of them. Where's your next one go? Uh, I'm picking the Edmonton Oilers as the next one. They've Without got, McDavid, it doesn't matter. It does matter tomorrow night. You're watching a McDavidless Oilers team well, with I one see win. How they respond without Connor McDavid in the lineup? Okay, they still got these one of the top five players in the world on the ice. It is scary season right now for the Edmonton Oilers. Right. Got to watch them. They're entertaining nonetheless. Next for me, this. Defending Stanley Cup champs, the Vegas Golden Knights, also undefeated. Something oh, you that, like defensive hockey? Something that people haven't seen. You like defensive masterclasses? I love defense. Okay. I grew up Do playing you, D, and I just I can't. And you wait abandoned to the position. You should abandon the Golden down. Knights. <laughs> They're undefeated. How long can they go? I'm going back to back undefeated teams. No, no one expected this from the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, I'm going to be a proud watcher tomorrow. Okay, I'm taking the New Jersey Devils because I am the biggest my next one. Jack Hughes fan in the world. At least it seems uh, they are really, really exciting uh and they have the guy that might be able to just swoop in and win the heart trophy if it's an extended absence for Connor mcdavid uh jack hughes is the guy right now and for that reason i'm going with the new jersey devils okay my third pick would be the buffalo sabers you know i'm a sabers stan tage dalene power they might be wearing the goat head jerseys if they do even more so of a reason. But I love the Sabres, and they'll be next on my list. Guess you'll be watching Monday Night Hockey, which is ongoing as we speak. Uh, Montreal at Buffalo. I'm going to go next with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Nikita, Ooh. Nikita Kucherov kind of remind you something on Saturday night that, yeah, they're still awesome and fun to watch. And there's a brand of hockey that is the most eye-pleasing, at least for me. And it's not teams that just, you know, float around the perimeter. It's a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning that does both. They have... Nasty, and they have nice, and it's still top of mind for all me. Right, Tampa Bay right. Lightning is my next pick. They were way down my list, so I'm glad uh, I didn't lose anyone because I'm going with the Red Wings. Mr. John Morosi, bring Cat, the Cat Trick, Larkin, most goals scored in the NHL this year, the Detroit Red Wings. So you want to see high-scoring offense? Boom, there you go, Red Wings. Okay, that's fair. Uh, my next team might have been last last year. Oh, my God. Chicago no. Blackhawks. Yeah. I'm... Uh, I'm uh, I'm interested in one Connor Bedard, and I'm going to continue to be interested. It will definitely be on at some point tomorrow. Chicago Blackhawks. They were up there for me. Hurricanes, second most goal scored. A very fun team. The bunch of jerks. They're my next pick. Okay. I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Penguins next. It's mm. still Sidney Crosby. I don't know how many games I have left of watching Sidney Crosby. I hope it's still in the multiple hundreds, but I'm not taking any chances. Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins are next for me. I'll take the next Canadian team off the list, the Senators. Uh, big on the Ottawa Senators this year. Second most goals scored in the league. Um, I believe that they have someone called Brady Kachuk, who is so fun to watch, and I want to see that team do something good this year. I'm going to go next with the Dallas Stars. I don't where do you put the Dallas Stars? Just they of, were uh, out of four down from where we are right okay. now. I like Dallas. I mean, Dallas is fun to watch. Popular Dallas has one the of cup, but... the best defensemen in the world. I mean, we get so excited about Colorado and Kale McCarr. Miro's just like one notch below that. They're a really exciting team with a lot of scoring on every line. I think Dallas Stars deserve some love despite being kind of hockey obscurity for us up here. Well, I'm going to go with the trifecta of the only three undefeated teams, the Boston Bruins. I cannot believe that they have done what they've done so far. I came on the show and my hot take says they're not even going to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. And now they are undefeated and Pasternak and Marshawn look like they never missed a beat. They actually look better than last year. So I want to see them because I kind of want to see them lose. 
Okay, now it's my, this is, uh, Boston was up there for me. Now it's like. It gets a little messy now, eh? Now it's like, okay, I'm definitely more. I have more, a few more that I can convince myself on. I'm definitely more interested in Canadian teams on average than like middling teams, at least south of the border. So this might be a run on Canada for me, Vancouver Canucks. Okay, they were next for me too. Uh, have you seen what Hughes is doing? Looking like a man possessed. He's seen some stuff on the internet. That too. Um, I'll go with the Florida Panthers next. Kachuk, Barkov, you know, they like watching those guys. So. Yeah, the run on Canada is going to continue for me. Calgary Flames, still interesting. Calgary Flames, my next pick. The Flames are next for you? What's oh. wrong with the Flames? Oh, God, they're boring. Um, I'll go with the New York Rangers. Panarin, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller, Lafreniere, Capo, Shesterkin. I just think that team needs to actually put those puzzle pieces together and, you know, regional six. Like you, you've abandoned Canada. I will continue to show my love and devotion. Don't to even Canadians. say the Jets. The Montreal Canadiens oh, are next God. for me. Yeah, they were next for me. Suzuki, Caulfield, Newhook. Um, I think that they're probably the best remaining team at this point. I am not going to pick the Jets. Uh, my next pick was actually... It's not even. I, I just. It's next in line. The wild, but just I don't take it. believe we're four in minutes. Them. We got to go. I, are we going to get through all of them? Yeah, we're okay. going to. We're okay. going to get there. It's so then, rapid fire. Okay. The, le- the worst teams in the league. Yeah, these is now. I'm at the worst teams. Wild. Like I don't even know why. Okay, I forget the wild. Give me Winnipeg. I know you just disparage them, but Winnipeg is still more interesting than Columbus. Oh, that's Winnipeg. My- Columbus was my next pick. How? Just because of Goudreau and Line A, and I don't know. I'm just like, <laughs> now you're just making it up. It's so bad. Okay, we got one more team that is at least like pretty legit on I, this list, and it's the LA Kings. So the oh, LA okay. Kings next for me. I'm not going to watch much LA Kings because it's so late, but like they got great centers. I've got Anaheim as my next pick. Young stars. I want to see some young stars do something good. Okay, now it gets real tricky here. Is it still Ovi? Like, I don't want to watch. No, he's, a, he's lower I don't on watch my list. A washed up Ovi if he is indeed washed up. But I will just hold up hope that he's not yet. So Washington's my next pick. Okay. Um, I actually have the Predators next. Ryan O'Reilly and Ugh, Roman Yossi. You're stretching now. Roman Yossi for just personal reasons. Uh, oh, but I love okay, the Predators okay. because I like Nashville. <laughs> now we're, like this is we're down to what we're down to Seattle, Arizona, Columbus, Islanders, St. Louis, Flyer Sharks. Is that it? Yeah, there's six teams remaining. Seattle. Oh, that was my next one. I want to see how they follow up from last year. Okay, then I got the Blues. Bennington, he'll do something greasy, yeah, and I want to watch him. That's and a then good point. Newmarket's very own Rob Thomas. Okay, four left. The worst teams, the least watchable teams in the NHL, it's, according to I'm us. I'm going to end up with the worst one: Arizona, New York Islanders, Philadelphia Flyers, San Jose Sharks. What's? I'm taking Arizona. Damn it! I'm taking Arizona. Logan Cooley plus the that arena. arena. The arena at least has something interesting about it. Logan Cooley, let's go Arizona. I'm going to take. The Philadelphia Flyers, who are first in the Metropolitan Division, and Gritty. And there's a chance you that know Gritty. John Tortorella just blows a gasket. And it, it's Gritty season. Okay, gritty you got season. two left. So you're either going to give me the San Jose Sharks or the Islanders. This is such shade toward the New York Islanders to be grouped with the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, is that who you're taking? I'll pick the Islanders. Oh, my God. The Sharks God. have to be by principle The San or Jose Sharks are last. the only winless team. That's why they're last on the list, and I will gladly watch them tomorrow night win their first game. Who are they even playing? It better be a winnable game. They're playing... Oh no! They they can't beat anybody, so it's they're not it's even all good. listed. Every team is playing, but San Jose Sharks are not <laughs> playing for whatever they will reason. They're playing the Panthers tomorrow. I pick both those teams. So that wins for me. There you go. I guess you're gonna have to tune in. That's all point. right. I like our draft rankings. Uh, we'll have lots of viewing experience tomorrow. Will be a fun one. Uh, tonight is going to be even more fun, in my opinion, because it's a game seven. 
in baseball. That's up next on the network. Sports at 590, the fan will have ALCS game seven, Texas, Houston, 8 p.m. Lots of storylines going to this. I think the Astros do it again. Do you? I just, I've, I've gotten to that point where I'm ready to admit it and just watch this. Dynasty yeah, I'm okay with continue. it. I, I've kind of been resigned to it, and yesterday was a bit of a surprise to me, but it does feel like Houston has just, like, got the steadier hand, I guess. Or Abreu blows it. That'd be good. And then karma will happen. That'd be good for headlines. All right, thanks for listening to the fan. Pre-game will be back tomorrow to tee up a Leafs game on the network.